Today's episode is brought to you by ShopRemoteOffice.com for all your digital backdrop needs. Lucky for me, I have this beautiful new backdrop that my wife got for me. But what I usually use when I'm doing my TV interviews and podcasts is a digital backdrop, which I got from my friends at ShopRemoteOffice.com. They have everything you need, including green screens and lots of digital projects, everything you need so nobody has to know that you are at your Zoom meeting in your underwear. So go to ShopRemoteOffice.com and enter the code Ari Hoffman. That's A-R-I-H-O-F-F-M-A-N to save 10%. Well, lots going on in our favorite city of Seattle and around the country. I took a new job with the Post Millennial, which is the newspaper you see me writing for all the time, as an associate editor. What does this mean? I'm recruiting content, I'm recruiting writers to do content and things of that nature, and I'm really loving it. A lot of things I get to learn about, I get to deal more with national stuff, but don't worry, I will still have all these same investigations and deep dives into what's going on in Seattle and Washington State. So let's start there with Chaz 2.0, which is forming in Anderson Park right now. Let's go over, in case you've been living under a rock for this year, with what Chaz is. So a bunch of fringe lunatics decided that they were going to protest against the Seattle Police Department in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. They protested and protested and protested, so much so that the mayor of Seattle eventually ordered the Seattle Police Department to surrender the precinct they were protesting at. So the police department left and the activists moved in took the barriers, repurposed them, and created an autonomous zone, which they said was their zone. And they held it for about four weeks, about a month of this zone, where Antifa was doing patrols. Now, depending on what time of day you went, sometimes it was like a block party you'd get hepatitis from, and sometimes it was an Antifa war zone, just depending on who showed up that day. Sometimes they would not let people in, sometimes they would let people in. Most of the time you could walk through, it was just disgusting. But over time, it got worse and worse. Tents were everywhere. It became a homeless encampment. There was garbage everywhere, people lying in the streets. It turned into pretty much a microcosm of what Seattle is. And then there were the murders. There was the crime. There was the death. There was the rapes. There was the robberies. There was the attacks on businesses. People couldn't take it anymore. Six people died. Six people died in this place in a three-week period. That's how bad it got. But it wasn't until people sued the city and protesters showed up at Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin's house that they decided to do anything about this at all, and Seattle police went in and dismantled the whole thing. Since that time, there has been a growing homeless encampment, which has been cleared out about three or four times now, I think, in the park has been getting worse and worse. The park has technically been closed since the summer, so you who pay taxes on it can't use it. But this homeless encampment has been getting bigger and bigger, so Seattle city of Seattle posted these signs, Parks and Rec posted these signs saying they were going to clear the encampments and restore the park. And then the activists went bananas because they've been there the whole time. Because since then, the activists have been using Kel Anderson Park as a staging area for all of their protests and riots. In fact, one of the sheds there, it's more than a shed, it's more like a building. One of the buildings there, they were actually storing weapons in shields, spike strips, machetes, explosives, mortars, things of that nature. They were storing there and the cops found it. What's going on, I went there the other day, is that these guys are protecting their home base. They weren't protecting the homeless. Maybe word got out that people were saying, hey, you're just protecting this one area. So what they started doing was building fencing to encircle the homeless. That's what they've been doing now. And the activists are down there and Antifa's down there. They chased out Q13, they chased out Como News, they threw rocks at Como News. And now, last night, today, they found an abandoned house in the area and they moved in and occupied it. And it's now being called the Yellow House, much like the Red House in Portland, because a lot of the people who came up, came up from Portland to be part of this. They were planning this 
last week. They're planning on doing this in Seattle. And Seattle has lost their political nerve. They should just order a whole bunch of white flags instead of equipment for the police department in the city. Because that's it. They're just waving the white flag. They're done. They're done. There's nothing they can really do. Now a federal judge might be getting involved. We're waiting on his ruling today to find out what the actual story is, whether or not you can clear these encampments because, yeah, some judge is going to rule by fiat that you can't clear encampments. That's going to open the floodgates and destroy all the other encampments left in the park. This is what you get with one-party rule. This is what you get with socialism. That's who you have in charge of Seattle, one of the most beautiful cities in the country, has been flushed completely down the toilet. And there is no law and order. There is no rule of law. Best of luck to everybody there. I mean, I'm one of them. I mean, I moved my office out of a real bad hot spot, as you can see by the change of scenery behind me. But I still live in Seattle, and it's only getting worse. Who do we have to thank for this? Well, we have Councilmember Lorena Gonzalez. Council, she's council president, as a matter of fact. She did an interview with Vice TV. Here's a few of the fun little clips out of it. Council President Lorena Gonzalez says the effort will continue next year when the police union contract is up for renewal. Do you consider this outcome to have been an achievement? It, it seems like everyone's unhappy. <laughs> well, in my line of business, it's politics. When, when everybody's unhappy, you probably did something uh, right. You know, I would have wanted to see something happen faster and more um, and, and be bigger. But at the end of the day, it would be difficult to, in one budget cycle, undo 400 years of institutionalized racism in a police department. Is there a danger of defunding the police before these other programs that are supposed to fill that gap, before they're built up fully? Is there a risk to public safety? I mean, the crime, crime is going up in the city, right? It's important for us to remember that we are dealing with all of this amidst a global pandemic that has created m mass historic levels of unemployment and, and has increased poverty for many people. And so I think that that oftentimes results in an increase in crime because people are trying to survive. And, and we have, as a country and as a city, criminalized being poor. So Council Member Gonzalez is now blaming COVID for the fact that crime's getting bad in Seattle, not their own defunding policies. Even Vice called them out on it. Like, do you think you went too quickly and maybe you defunded this stuff too fast? But she doesn't have an answer for them because all she has in her head is social justice activism. They defunded the police department. Homicides have more than doubled. I think they're up 120% at this point. That's more than double of last year. Crime went up about 500% by the last count and they lost hundreds of police officers. They are now at the lowest deployable levels of police since the 1990s, and meanwhile, the city has doubled, and they want to decrease the police budget more. The day they voted for the most recent decrease of 18% in the Seattle police budget was the day that a social worker was killed by one of her clients in one of the places funded by the city, literally while it was happening. But they want to replace the police with social workers. They refuse to accept the police have to be part of this equation. Meanwhile, as council president, I think she should know that Seattle was founded in 1865 and the police department was established in 1869. That's not 400 years ago. The only way you get a number like 400 is by going off the ridiculous math of the now debunked New York Times, I guess we'll call it an op-ed because it's not actual reporting, the 1619 Project, which talks about systemic racism. Absolutely crazy stuff. As I say, Democrats have been in charge of Seattle for decades. So if the system is systemically racist, does that mean the Washington State and Seattle Democrat parties are systemically racist? Personally, I think so. I've been on the receiving end of their stuff. That's my belief. 
Moving on from there, we talk about Councilmember Lisa Herbold, another member of the fund who wants to now make all misdemeanors legal in Washington State. But here's something fun. This week, Lisa Herbold, who defunded the police department and wants to make all misdemeanors legal, had a rock come through the window of her house. That's sad, that's awful, shouldn't have happened. She called 911. So the hypocrisy continues. She called 911. <laughs> now, in her world, Police shouldn't be responding to these kind of things, and they shouldn't be crimes. So why the police go? Really? Should have just said, sorry, can't show up today. This is the same woman who in the past contacted Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best to try and have me arrested when she assumed I dropped an RV in front of her house, which was really a homeless family. Well done. Bravo. So she has no problem using the police. See, this is what it's going to become. For me and not for thee. They're going to have their own private protection. Look at Minneapolis. They defunded the entire police department, but they hired private security for the council members and politicians and everybody else is like crime is through the roof and the council goes oh maybe we made a mistake because they live in a bubble they live in an own their own little world it's absolutely crazy absolutely crazy so that's the hypocrisy of herbold maybe we'll just call her herbold the hypocrite or lisa the liar i don't know one of those two moving on to a little bit of national news here so the vaccine is being distributed and i gotta say i am so impressed with how quickly this vaccine is being distributed I saw a few guys under an overpass giving the vaccine to each other. Yeah, saw it just the other day. We have such a compassionate city that the vaccine is everywhere. I'm impressed how quickly they got it out. But there are some reports of some allergic reactions to the vaccine. Now, personally for me, the first one we saw was in Juneau, Alaska. That was the one I covered this week for the Post Millennial. A healthcare worker actually took the vaccine and had a massive allergic reaction and had to be, uh, have IVs hooked up to her to deal with this allergic reaction. Very sad. That does happen with some people with some infections, but she had no pre-existing conditions. This thing hasn't been tested that much, and I don't know about you, but I never buy first-generation electronics. So for me, who already had COVID, I'm not really in a rush to get this thing. Do I understand the people who are at risk are gonna want this thing 100%? Am I telling you not to take it? No. And I think most people are gonna take it no matter what I say. But me personally, I'd rather just wait for generation two to make sure all the testing has been done. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. All my kids are vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. We all have that kind of stuff. But for me, I'm not questioning the way it was done. I'm impressed with the warp speed project of how quickly they got out there. But at the same time, I'm just not inclined to be one of the first to do it. Let the politicians do it first. Let them, I'll get the vaccine. Let's see what happens to them. And then, you know, if I need to, we'll go ahead and get that done. Just for me right now, I don't feel in a rush. I don't get the flu shot. And the reason I don't get the flu shot is because normally every year I feel lousy if I get the flu shot. So I'd rather take the risk of not getting the flu than have at least a day or two of symptoms from the shot itself. So I can only imagine what this thing would do to me. Having the virus was unpleasant, but it was really just a glorified flu. That's what it was. There's a nagging cough that hasn't gone away from a few members of my family, which is annoying, but that's happened in some flu seasons as well. So the other thing is with this vaccine, it has a 95% effective you know, effective rate. Meanwhile, the virus, you have a 99.8% chance of recovery. This isn't really the big be-all, end-all problem that they make it out to be, so I'm not in such a rush to get there. That's just me. I hear that they're giving it to the president and to the vice president, sorry, the president-elect Joe Biden and Vice President Mike Pence this week. That's interesting. Let's talk about the president-elect for a minute. I have a theory, and I'm sure a lot of you have had the same thoughts, and maybe it's me with my tinfoil hat, or maybe not, but I think they're starting to serve up Joe Biden, or sorry, President-elect Biden, um, so that they can get Kamala Harris in instead. 
Why do I think that? They were already talking about the 25th Amendment before the election. That's about removing a president from office. They're talking about removing Senator Dianne Feinstein because of cognitive problems. They don't like her because she hugged Lindsey Graham after the Senate hearings on Amy Coney Barrett. Oh, I'm sorry, bipartisanship and agreement and being cordial to each other is such a horrible, horrible thing. She did have some moments where he questioned her cognitive ability, but I don't see them questioning Joe Biden's. Now they're starting to bring that kind of stuff up. And why do you think the Hunter Biden emails are now out there everywhere? I mean, this week, some really bad stuff came out. Daily Caller had this, where the Hunter Biden emails literally show connections to businesses in China and how Hunter is being played by the Chinese government and connections to everything. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. All the stuff that the mainstream media was denying for months is now blatantly in front of us. Why do you think that's being allowed to be printed? Could it be so they could remove Joe Biden or Joe Biden could step down in favor of a President Harris? I guess the only question when it comes to 2024 is who's going to run against President Harris. I got to tell you, being a member of the Secret Service who's Joe Biden's food taster is going to be a really rough job for the remainder of his term. Anyway, all that being said, don't say I didn't warn you about any of this. We'll be back. We got an interview coming up with Todd Myers from the Washington Policy Center about Governor Jay Inslee's insane climate change proposals that he is rolling out this week and a whole lot more after a brief word. Welcome to another episode of Canary in a Coal Mine. I am joined today by Todd Myers from the Washington Policy Center, friend of the show and our go-to guy for anything, that, anytime we want to analyze what's going on with the climate, with government policy. So Todd, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, it's always fun to talk with you. <laughs> so Governor Jay Inslee rolled out his budget proposal or ideas this week on his budget proposal. I think the main one comes out today. And he had a whole section on climate change. Now, as I was looking at this thing, aside from the massive costs, I was thinking to myself, is this really going to do any good when pollution has actually gotten worse under Jay Inslee? Well, right. And so he's been governor for eight years and actually CO2 emissions have gone up almost every year. Um, that he has been governor. And one of the reasons is simply that the policies that he advocates aren't supported not only by Republicans, but by key Democrats as well. So they're very costly, very radical. And the result is, is that he hasn't even been able to get members of his own party to sign on. And rather than compromise, rather than say, okay, let's figure out what we can do that makes sense. He simply rolls out the same bad policies every year. And so before Tuesday, I knew he was going to announce it on Tuesday. Uh, people asked me, what is he going to roll out? I wrote a one page, here's probably what he's going to roll out. And then afterwards they said, do you have to change anything? I said, no, because it's all the same things that he's rolled out um, in the past. So it's not, and it's not just merely that they're politically unpopular, the bad policy. So it's just, it's kind of the worst of both worlds. What do you think is causing the rise in emissions or the fact that these things keep going up and up? Have you found something to track what it is actually causing it? So there's a couple of things. The key thing is, is that the per capita emissions, not just in Washington state, but across the country are going down. So each person is actually, as wealth increase, the amount of CO2 and energy we use is going down. So even if you don't care about CO2, Right, we're spending less on energy as a, 
as a percentage what we uh, create, which is a good thing, right? We don't, I don't want to spend money on gasoline or electricity. I want to spend it on going to the movies, eating popcorn, right? So that's a good thing. So one reason that you see emissions, total emissions going up simply because of population increase. Washington state does see a reduction in, in per capita emissions, but we're not, we're actually less, we're doing less well than average in the United States. So uh, other states, many other states are doing better on a per capita basis than we are. So, but that's the fundamental issue. But technology is finding ways to do more with less that's primarily driven by the free market, by businesses, things like that, rather than government policies. And if I'm not mistaken, I had you on um, a while back and you were telling me that even during the shutdowns and such, we were still, still having rises in emissions while all that was going on. Yes and no. In the, in the electricity area, you did not see very much, if any, reduction in total electricity use. You did see a reduction in transportation and fuel purchases. Not surprising because people are not driving as much. However, what's really interesting about that, though, is um, I actually requested the data from the state of Washington for gas tax revenue. And it went down in April, May, June, July, August. But in September, it went right back up to normal, and it was normal as in October, too. So it was a very temporary blip, and we are basically back to where we are normally. That just shows you how difficult it is to reduce CO2 emissions by beating people and forcing them to change their lifestyles. Even shutting down the economy only had a little bit of an impact and a, and a temporary dip. Yet that's the approach that the left wants, right? Is to force people to change the way they live. The approach that we like on the right and, and market advocates is to give people technology. The thing that has caused CO2 emissions to go down per capita, that's what we think is the solution. Because not only does it work, we know it works, we can see it, but it's also pro-prosperity. It's pro-freedom. It gives people the opportunity to live the life they want while doing more with less and helping the environment. So I was looking at his proposal and there's multiple things I just, <laughs> just incredulous about, but one of them was interesting was the section on dairy. I mean, is he really buying into this whole farting cows thing or is there something real to what he's suggesting? <laughs> well, so methane, which is actually, actually more of it comes out as burps than farts. So just, you know, scientifically speaking, I want to make sure that we're correct here. Um, but methane is a very potent greenhouse gas and about 20 times as potent as CO2. There are some dairies that have collected the methane and then use it to run operations. Landfills do a lot of this because when the trash decomposes, it generates uh, methane. And like here in King County, they collect the methane and they run the, the dump based partially on the methane. So there is a theory there. The problem with it is that it is ridiculously expensive to do that for the amount of benefit that you get. This is the problem with all of his proposals is that you can reduce CO2 emissions for 5% of the cost of what he is proposing. The reason he proposes those things is because they're politically popular, right? There's handouts to all sorts of special interests. Well, the handouts take 95% of the benefit and the climate gets 5%. So even if you say climate change is a crisis, you should be opposed to what the governor is doing because 95% of what he's doing is just pure waste. That's like, I was looking at the section about public buildings. So nobody's working in public buildings right now, but he has this whole plan to make them more green. 
I got an idea. If everybody's working remotely, have everybody keep working remotely. You won't need the public buildings. You can actually make some money on them. I mean, what good has ever come out of public buildings? Right. And what we see is, is that there is also a proposal to have uh, all buildings be natural gas free, not entirely free because they actually do allow natural gas for cooking, but mostly natural gas free um, and net zero, <clears throat> excuse me, by 2030. We, we see what happens in Seattle. There are already buildings that are net zero in Seattle, but they don't cater to low income people, right? They cater to wealthy people who, wanna, who are willing to spend extra money to be environmentally friendly. But again, the additional amount of CO2 reduction that you get from that, you have to spend huge amounts of money because it's a ridiculously uh, inefficient way to achieve the goal. What you get from living in a net zero building is 95% virtue signaling and 5% help for the environment. Again, if you care about the environment, demand results. But in the case of politics or in the case of people who spend money to you know, get these sorts of benefits, they care more about virtue signaling or special interests than they do actually about reducing CO2 emissions. It's like driving a Tesla. The amount of energy and waste that goes into getting the batteries for those cars outdoes anything you gain by not using fuel for the things. It just seems like they keep going on the cycle. Teslas are a little bit difficult because it, it depends on where you are. What you said is absolutely true in the Midwest and other parts of the country. Here in Washington state, it, uh, electric vehicles actually do work out because our um, our energy electricity is basically CO2 free thanks to hydro, not thanks to wind and solar, but thanks to hydro uh, and nuclear actually. Nuclear produces more energy in Washington state than uh, wind and solar. But now they want to get rid of nuclear and hydro. Yes, exactly. <laughs> of course, it's, you know, it's, it's genius. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's the other thing is the state energy plan came out, uh, the draft energy plan came out uh, recently, which also, which, you know, the whole focus is on reducing CO2 emissions. The first 20 pages of the plan don't mention energy. All they mention is, here are all the special interest groups we're going to give money to. And there's even a section that says, we should give special, we should give money, government money to left-wing special interest groups so that they can write the regulations. I mean, that's how sort of blatant they are. But additionally, what it says is, is that if we're going to electrify, we're going to, and we are going to have more electric vehicles, right? With or without government policy, people are going to buy electric vehicles. But the demand for electricity is going to go up 90%. Well, why does it make any sense to get rid of dams when demand for electricity is going to go through the roof? Right? You're just, you're, you know, um, cutting off your nose to spite your face. So, you know, that's the frustration about this is there's so much talk about climate change being a crisis. And then when you look at what they actually do, so much of what they do is actually about, you know, sort of feathering the nests of special interests. That is not only bad for the environment, it's bad for the politics of getting people to solve real problems. Because when somebody says, look, here is a real environmental problem that actually exists, whether it's climate change or water pollution or whatever else, the immediate and understandable reaction of a lot of conservatives is that's BS. How do I know that's BS? Because you're, you're using it to give a bunch of money to your friends, okay? And it undermines our ability to find cooperative solutions to many of these things. 
which again gets back to why the governor has not been able to pass his main climate agenda because when push comes to shove, rather than say, look, I'll give a little bit here so that we can make progress, he never gives. It is always politics ahead of progress. And today I had an article out actually about another part of his budget, this solving racism thing, where actually he's funneling a whole bunch of money to racist organizations or organizations with a history of racism. So it just seems to be his MO. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. I wish we could find more solutions that we could actually apply. And everybody should go check out the Washington Policy Center. Lots of great reading on the website there. Check out some of their events. I've been meaning to go to those also. So people should be checking those out. And Todd, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, it's good to, it's good to talk with you. We'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. personal note to wrap up this week. There was an article that I wrote last week regarding the Boston Red Sox, how they are now honoring this guy who is a BLM activist. And that activist was arrested for assaulting an 80 year old woman who happens to be a Trump supporter. Bravo, Boston Red Sox. And your mission to be more woke, this is the person you honored. Apparently, Kurt Schilling is going to be talking about that article this week, which I'm pretty flattered by. I'm not a Red Sox fan at all. In fact, we beat them fair and square in the 1986 World Series. Remember Bill Buckner. Wonderful man. I think I have his autograph hanging on the wall here somewhere. Anywho, in talking about baseball, my father bought me for Hanukkah a book about Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver, Hall of Fame Mets pitcher who died recently. And my mother actually bought me a book about the Baseball Hall of Fame, which I haven't gotten to read it yet. But the book about Tom Seaver, reading it, even if you're not a baseball fan, even if you don't know who Tom Seaver was, it gives you an inspiration of the purity of who Tom Seaver was. He was a good guy, a good guy who competed hard, worked for everything he got, and really left the mark on baseball where nobody has a better word to say about this guy. That is missing from our celebrities these days. That is missing from our sports heroes these days. And I really wish there were more Tom Seavers in the world. This was the kind of guy that even when he was pitching for another team, Mets fans went to see him because they missed him so much. Luckily, he finally came back to the Mets, but then disappeared again. He's the kind of guy that left a legacy. That's why they called him the franchise. So I'm reading this book about Tom Seaver. It's phenomenal. You don't have to go pick it up, but we should expect more from our sports heroes. We should expect more from celebrities. We should expect more from ourselves and try to be the best people that we can be. We'll see you on the next episode of Canary in a Coal Mine. Okay.